In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. In the last lesson we talked about some of the reasons why sometimes there's a sort of a blockage to some people or in some cultures or societies towards belief in God or religion in general, which may not necessarily be related to the arguments, the validity of the arguments, the assessment of the arguments that were being put forward. So today what we want to do, and I think we announced it a little bit last time, we wanted to start looking a little bit more into what's the alternative. So we said that there are really two ways of looking at the world. We call that a worldview. Having a lifestyle, interpreting your experience in life. One of them is the one that we call a theistic worldview, which basically means you believe in God. Theistic means with a God in it, related to God. Or a non-theistic worldview, basically a materialistic worldview, or a materialist worldview. So we've been talking until now about the theistic worldview. So we've said until now that these are the proofs for the existence of a God. This is the type, the kind of God that it would be. This is why we spent time talking about the attributes of that God so that we understand what we're talking about. We made the distinction between the personal and the impersonal gods. Now we want to look at the other side. So what is the claim? If it's not that, then what is the alternative? And the alternative is, as we said, adopting a materialist worldview. So maybe just a quick note. When we say materialist, it's based on materialism. This is an ideology. This is a philosophy or a way of seeing the world. We're not talking about someone's tendency to really like things or give priority to things that are material. That's not what we're talking about. You know, sometimes someone who likes their hair or shoes or cards, and you can call them someone who's materialist. Yes, but that's not the materialism we're talking about. We're talking about materialism in the ideological sense of basically saying that the only thing that exists is matter. That's materialism. So either you believe that there is a God, or if you don't, that's to put it very bluntly, or if you don't, then you fall in a materialist worldview. Not materialistic. Sometimes it's used, but usually materialistic means the other definition, the other meaning that we're not talking about. Materialistic as in someone who likes material things, gives importance to material things. That would we're not talking about that. That would be akhlaq. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who says the only thing that exists in the world is matter. We explain everything with matter. There is nothing beyond matter. So what we wanted to do today is to go through some of the biggest claims of materialism. And really, it comes down to four of them. And all four of them can be summarized in one which is the first one, which is what I've already said, which is existence equals matter. There's nothing else. That's the biggest claim and the first claim and the most important one. 
So when someone is materialist, they are basically saying all that exists is matter. Existence equals matter. This means not only is there nothing beyond matter that exists, but it also means that I can only know things through matter. I can only know things through my five senses, which give me access to the material world. Anything beyond that, I can't know. Don't bug me with it. Don't make me waste time on it. It's not accessible to me through my five senses. So let's start with the first claim. The first claim is, let's, let's quickly mention the claims. First is existence equals matter. That's the first claim. A second claim is that matter is uncreated, therefore not destructible. And we all know the law that says nothing is created and nothing is destroyed and there's only transformation, right? Which could mean, imply, that that is your first cause. The necessary cause that we spoke about is going to be brought back to being matter. In one way, that is your God. It's matter. And it stops there. The second, and we're going to talk about each one of them. I'm just mentioning the, the headings. So the first one is existence equals matter. The second one is matter is eternal. Because that's the only thing that exists. The third one is because everything is material, there is no design, there is no purpose, there is no finality. It's all random chance. Everything that happens, happens by chance. It's just randomness and chance. Everything. Okay, that's third claim. Fourth claim is that any phenomena that happens in the world is the result of the interactions of matter. And that's why we're saying it may look like it's a lot of different claims, and we're going to look at each one of them and give a couple of arguments for each. But the reality is that they all are implied in the first one, which is the only thing that exists is matter. So we could spend entire lectures on each one of them, entire books and volumes have been written about each one of these and a few others. Or we can try to summarize it today in this, and then we move on. And if there's a need, we can spend a little bit more time on, on each one of them. Okay? So let's start with the first claim. The first claim being that all existence equals matter. So what's the issue with that? As First, as we said, this is the most important claim of materialism. So anyone that you want to argue with that says there cannot be a God, this is where you start. This is your starting point, and this is where you have to make sure if you have any convincing to do, this is where it needs to be done. Okay? The first issue with this claim that existence equals matter is that there is nothing in the materialist worldview Nothing in the way of seeing the world through materialism that should allow someone who's materialist to make any such claims because they are beyond matter. There is nothing that gives you the right to speak about anything beyond matter. If you're saying that to you all that exists is matter, what allows you 
to speak beyond matter. The most you can say is, I don't know. You cannot actually make the additional step, the additional claim, it does not exist. How do you prove that something does not exist? All you can say is, based on your material access to the world, you cannot say more than what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you touch. Right? The addition beyond matter, that's not within your reach. If you're limiting yourself to the material world, the most you can say is, I don't know. You cannot go the extra step and say, I know that it does not exist. How do you know? You cannot know. You're saying, all I have access to, all the tools that I have, they're material. So how can you speak beyond material? How do you have access to the material world? Let's look at our senses. When I know that there are things happening in the world, how do I have access to them? Can I hear with my eyes? So I know that there are things, there are phenomena, there are things happening in the world that I want to access. One way to access them is through hearing. Right? Or let's say through seeing. How do I access them through seeing? Can I see with my skin? Can I see with my ears? Can I see with my nose? I only see with my eyes. It may seem simple what I'm saying. But what does that really say? That says that there are types of things, types of information, types of phenomena in the world that for some of them, I may have a tool that allows me to access them. And the tools that we know we have are the five senses. This does not mean that the five senses give me access to everything happening in the world. Because I cannot hear with my eye. And I cannot hear with my skin. And I cannot hear with my nose. That tells me that I only have access to certain types of information for each one of my senses. And the rest is outside. I don't know what are their senses. I would need to have access to the other things that I don't know are there. I can't talk about them. If someone does not have the faculty of seeing, they can't see, they can't say, they can't claim that there's nothing to be seen. This is a faculty you don't have. You can't make that claim. The claim that there's nothing beyond matter is the same one. The only thing you have access to is through the five senses. Okay, so that's one thing to say each one of the senses can only access certain types. Let's go one level under that, drill down a little bit further. Let's take any of the senses. Let's take sight. Of course, I cannot hear with my eyes. I cannot smell with my eyes. I cannot touch with my eyes. Fine. But I can see, right? I can see everything there is to be seen in the world. Can I at least say that? No, I can't even say that. We now know that there are all sorts of radiation, let's say. Ultraviolet, infrared, x-ray. Do I see those? I don't see those. They're there. We now know that there are insects, there are animals that can see the world at that level. 
which tells me what? Same thing with hearing. If you're around an animal, sometimes they react to things and you don't know what they're reacting to. Most likely they're hearing things. A dog, for instance, can hear a much higher pitch than we do, right? So if someone's whistling very far away, the same, the same wave is happening to them and me, the dog and me, and yet I don't hear it and the dog does. What does that mean? The bee can see the ultraviolet and I don't. What does that mean? That means not only, at first what did we say? We said that each one of the senses is limited to one type of information. Right? That was the first one. The first problem. The second problem with the senses is that even within that type of information, let's say the seen world, the world that I can see, I can't even see everything. I can only see certain things. I can't even hear everything. I can only hear certain things. And the same thing goes for all of the senses. Right? That's clear? So if we know this, we know how deficient, how limited each one of the senses is, and I'm saying that the only thing I have to access the world, and I know how limited each one of them are, how can you claim that with those five senses, whatever I access, that's all that exists? Do you see how much more there could be that you're not accessing? At least logically, we know that that's actually the case right now, that we're not accessing everything. We have to create machines and tools and equipment to be able to access all the other things that we're not accessing right now with our five senses, initially. And we don't even know what else is out there. So for someone to come and say, I'm going to rely on the five senses because that's all we have because I'm a materialist, all I'm allowed to do is to use the material world, and my only access to the material world is my five senses. You cannot go from there to saying, and therefore nothing exists beyond what I have access to with my five senses, beyond matter, beyond the material world. That part is clear. That's why we're saying you cannot make the jump from I have access to the five senses, therefore the material world, from there to, and therefore there is nothing beyond matter that exists. Nothing immaterial exists. How do you know? How can you make that claim? This is beyond the tools that you have. That's one, one issue with this. A second issue with this is that we actually know there are non-material entities in the world. Some of them, they're easier to prove than others. Some of them, for now, we're going to say it as a claim, and we're going to come back to it. The easy ones, for instance, feelings, ideas, consciousness, the soul. Are you telling me that when you feel angry, that anger does not exist or does? It's yes or no. It exists or it doesn't exist. If it exists then you just agreed that there's something non-material that exists. Anger is not anything material that you feel with the five senses. The soul, and we're going to talk about the soul, inshallah, or consciousness. When you're directly aware of something, your memory, you close your eyes and you remember a trip you took with your parents last year. Where is that? It's material, you can point to something material, you can touch it or feel it or taste it. 
Is the memory there or it's not there? Is it a material thing or it's not a material thing? If it's not, you just agreed that there are non-material entities in the world. I haven't told you how to explain them yet, but now we know that you cannot claim that the only things that exist are material things. It's easy if it's someone else, but if it's happening to you, and I'm sure for the majority of you it's happened, the feeling of deja vu, you know for sure that it's as though you just saw this thing. The same thing that's happening to you, you just lived it. And you're not sure why. Or you know you just saw that in your dream last night, and the same thing is happening. Now, it's difficult when it's someone else. You know, you're going to tell them you ate too much last night. And that's what happened, and that's it. But when it's you who's going through it, you have a direct experience that you saw something, let's say, in your dream, or you had a premonition, as they say, or a very strong intuition about something and it happened the same way, a lot of our scholars use that as a proof of the existence of the soul. You just prove that there's a part of you that's not limited in the time that your body is, that can move around a little bit more than your body does in time. So it can sometimes see a little bit more into the future than your body does. And we'll talk about that, inshallah, a little bit more when we talk about the soul. Same thing with consciousness. Is it really something material or is beyond matter? And maybe those are complex and abstract, so the easy ones are, for instance, feelings. Material or non-material? Non-material. They exist or they don't, unless you say it's an illusion. Or you say it's all, the last claim that we said, it's all material interactions. And we'll talk about that at the end. Okay, so these are two big issues with if someone says the only thing that exists is matter. The last one, we actually already proved the existence of God. If nothing else is material, there's God. We proved the existence of a necessary being that cannot be material through the proof of the necessary being and through the proof of design. We proved the existence of God. That's it. That means I've already proven something that is non-material. And if someone says, my claim is there is nothing material that exists, I have to take them back to that proof and start it right from the beginning. Either one or the other proofs. We presented a few, the intuitive proof or instinctive proof and others. Any of them are sufficient to show that that claim that the only thing that exists is material doesn't work. Okay, so any of these can be used as arguments against a claim that the only thing that exists is matter, and it doesn't work. Okay? Second principle. Matter is eternal. Matter is uncreated. So what's the issue with that? The first thing, and this one may be a little bit complicated, it goes back to a lot of things that we just said. If you want to rely on only material things, and I keep saying that because that's the point. If someone is claiming that the only thing that exists is matter, then their way to accessing the world has to be material. You cannot say, but here I'm going to be completely rational and I'm going to go beyond matter. Right? You're either a materialist or you're not. If you're a materialist and you claim there is nothing that but matter that exists, as we said, principle one, principle two, and matter is uncreated. I don't need a God. Matter has always been here and will always be here. In one shape or form or another, 
Matter has always been and will always be here. Okay, the first issue is, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this one, you cannot prove eternity with empirical material means. What tools do you have to speak about eternity? Which of your five senses is going to allow you to say, therefore, it must have existed from ever and to ever? You can. That's one issue. I said I won't spend too much time on it, but keep it in mind. Second issue. Our biggest problem with matter and everything else in this world is not whether it's eternal or not. That's not our issue. That's a second issue, whether it's eternal or not. Our major issue, and we spent a lot of time on this when we presented the proof of the necessary being. Our major issue, our biggest question for everything that exists in the world is, does it necessarily need to exist? Or is it only a contingent being? Is it only a possible being? And how do we know that? We know that by looking at the thing itself. Is it something that absolutely, logically needs to exist? Or does it need to exist? Is there, is there anything in the thing itself, in the definition of the thing, in the meaning of it, in its nature? Is there anything in its nature that makes it exist necessarily? So let's look at matter. Does matter need to exist? No. Our entire universe, from what we see and hear and understand from it, our entire universe does not need to exist. It does. But it doesn't need to. It could have not existed. But the triangle has to have the three sides. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a triangle. Remember that? When we look at matter, it doesn't need to exist. It means that matter is contingent. It's only a possible being. It may exist and it may not exist. But we, we happen to live in a world, in a system, in a universe where it exists. Good. So now we ask the question, where did it come from? Why does it exist? That's what we're asking. Why does it exist and why does it exist in this way? And that's why we say, the moment you can ask about something, why does it exist and exist this way, it means it's contingent. It could have not existed. So we have to ask then, why does it? What pulled it out of being only possibly existing to actually existing? What made it lean in on the side of existing? So our major issue with matter is not that it's eternal or non-eternal. So even if I wanted to agree with you that matter is eternal, my question to you would be then, but why does it exist? It doesn't necessarily need to exist at a, at a point in time. Fine. Why does it exist? And why does it exist in this way? In scientific terms, why does it have to exist with these physical laws? Why these laws? So why does it exist in this way? Why does it exist in another way? This means that it's contingent. And if it's contingent, it needs a cause from outside of itself. 
brings us back to the proof of the necessary being. It cannot be the ultimate cause for all of existence. The next one is the claim that, again, remember what we're talking about are the big principles, the big foundations of materialism. We said there is no matter, no existence except matter, or existence equals matter, that's first. The second one was, what was the second one? The second one is, um, that matter is uncreated, therefore indestructible. Exactly. Matter is eternal. Matter is uncreated. Now we're at the third one. The third one is, there is no purpose. There is no design. There is no finality. There is no goal, objective to anything. And of course there cannot be. Because the moment you say there is a purpose to anything in the created world, in the universe that we live in, then you have to ask, where did it come from? You're basically openly stating that there's an intelligence behind it. There's an intent behind it. That there's a will. There's a plan. Right? The moment you agree that there's a design, the moment you agree that there's a purpose, so anything that you look at in the world, if you say that there's a purpose to it, then you open the door to, why? Where did it come from? It means there was an intelligence, and a plan, and a will, and intent to make it this way and not another way, because it's actually performing a function. And we said when you, when you look at every individual thing, that's one layer, when you start combining things together, and that makes a whole network of designs, then you start understanding how much design, how much complexity there is. Can you really still look at all of that and say, it's all random? It's all by chance? So this brings us back to the proof by design for the existence of God. I don't remember how I presented it to you, whether I said it this way or not. The proof basically has two pieces. One part is to say, the world has design. The world has a purpose. That's part one of that proof. And part two is, and design needs a designer. That's part two. So when you have the materialist saying there is no design, what are they doing? They're blocking it right from the beginning. We said there are two pieces. There is design in the world, and design needs a designer. If I say, no, there is no design in the world, that's it. I don't need to say, and design needs a designer. I never get to that part. There is no design to start with. The moment I agree with you that there is design there, you're going to ask me, doesn't it need intelligence? Where does it come from? So even before we get there, I tell you, no, no, there is. You're under the illusion that there is design. You think there is design. You're imposing the design from yourself, from you, the way you think on the world. It's not really there. There is no design. It's just random material interactions. But you're looking at it from your little limited human point of view, and you want to believe something so badly that you're going to add that dimension on it and say, see, 
those two things must have been made this way for them to work. If there was no gravity, the force of gravity did not exist, nothing would make sense. Our world would not be what it is today. Therefore, there must have been design. It must have been put in this way. The distance between the moon and earth must have been put by design. The distance between earth and the sun must have been put by design. If you change it, life does not evolve on earth. You say, okay. It doesn't elsewhere. What's the issue? It's all by chance. There's no design. And that's why we ask that question. So how much proof is enough to say there is design? How many proofs do we need to accumulate? And it's one thing to look at things on their own. It's another to start combining them. For our purpose as human beings, to start combining them so that our life makes sense. So that we actually end up existing and being what we are. What does it take for a human being to exist? And we talked about that. We said how much information is required in every cell, in genetic code, for instance. Remember? And that was one example. We have so many of these examples. So here the question goes back to the proof by design. So the atheist finds himself stuck having to reject any intelligence to the world, any design, any purpose to the world, because the alternative is, now there's intelligence that I have to explain where it comes from. And I cannot go there. So I shut it down from the beginning and I say there is no design to the world. And so now it's all based on you and your knowledge and understanding of how the world works. The more you understand how the world works, the more you understand what it takes for a plant to become what it is, or for a cell to be what it is, or the laws of astronomy, or physics, or mechanics, or relativity, or, or, or. The more you understand them, the more you understand what are scientists trying to do when a theoretical physicist spends their entire life trying to find a natural law and write it in a mathematical formula, what does that mean? Does that not mean that there is intelligence? That there is a pattern that was pre-established for the world to be the way it is. The moment you go there and you say that there is a pattern that you can write as a law and that it applies everywhere, and that's why the atom works the way it does, and that's why everything on Earth works the way it does, and that's why the entire solar system and the galaxy and the universe, oh, now it's starting to make sense. It looks like there was maybe a plan after all. There were laws that were put in place after all. Okay, maybe there is intelligence behind it. It's not all just random by chance. Okay? So the claim here, the third claim, is that there is no purpose, there is no design, there is no plan, there is no intelligence. And that's the answer. The next one is that every natural phenomenon in the world is only the result of material interactions. If something is happening, the only way to explain it is to say that there are material parts that are interacting with each other. There is nothing else because nothing else exists. The issue with that, the first answer to that is, if that were the case, of course, we keep everything else we've already said. I don't want to repeat myself. 
there are things that apply again here. I'm trying to provide new arguments to every, every claim. If that were the case, how do we explain the emergence of new things? If there was only matter right from the beginning, how come that after a while, something else that wasn't there emerges? Where is it coming from? Why wasn't there at the beginning? If matter was always there before, why weren't there feelings? Where did the feelings come from? Let's say we go back all the way to the Big Bang. When the Big Bang happened, and for the next one billion years, let's say, or two, or three, or ten billion, where were feelings at that time? Where did they come from? Where did intelligence come from? Where did awareness suddenly come from? Consciousness, where did they come from? Where were they? If it's only material interactions, then it should always remain as material interactions. Nothing should just appear suddenly out of the blue. So maybe material interactions are not enough to explain the emergence of anything new, especially when we look at this, and this is a second point, when we look at these things that are emerging, and we cannot explain them because they don't have any of the properties of matter. What's matter? Matter is something that has extension in space. It holds space. In physics, they say it holds a volume and it has extension. Before they used to say it, it has mass. Now even that is questionable. So even that, let's put it aside. It has extension, it holds a space, and it has volume. That's matter. It's divisible. Anything material you can divide into smaller parts. Okay. That's the definition of something material. What do I do with feelings? And what do I do with memories? And what do I do with consciousness? And what do I do with intelligence? Can I divide it? Do I say it holds a space? Where's Which space is it holding? Is it in my mind? Is it in these few centimeters in my head? Like, is it actually there? If I open and look for it, I can find memories? So what's going on? Is it really all explainable by only material interactions? The answer here could be that it is all material interactions. Right? That would be the counterclaim. The counterclaim would be it's all material interactions. And so we go back to the same question. If it's material, explain all of these things to me materially. And there are attempts. But we'll also read a few quotes to see how successful those attempts are today. And inshallah in the next lectures we're going to drill down into a few of those topics like consciousness. What do scholars who are experts in consciousness actually say? Has it been explained in any way, shape or form? Or do they think that it's even possible to explain it materially? Only with matter. Is it possible to explain consciousness with matter? Okay? The other issue that we have, if we say everything is nothing but a materialistic interaction. The issue we have is we fall into predeterminism. What does that mean? In nature, there are laws. 
when matter interacts with matter, we know exactly what's going to happen, right? Anyone who studies physics, mechanics, that's what you do. You can take those laws, once you understand them, you plug in your variables, and you can tell what's going to happen. It's very predictable. That's the natural world. So what do we do with free will? So is the materialist person who says there is nothing but matter, even your consciousness, even your awareness, even your conscience, they're nothing but material interactions. You have the illusion that you have free will. Okay, fine. So two issues with that. The first one is, what do I do with my direct awareness that I have free will? Right now, no one is trying to convince me. I directly feel that I have the choice to pick up this subha or I don't. I can decide, pick it up or not pick it up. This feeling that I have this freedom, and I decide right now, do I pick it up or not? I don't need anyone to try to convince me or explain to me that I have freedom or I don't have freedom. I feel it directly. I have direct awareness that I have a free choice here. I can decide to pick it up or not. No one can come from the outside and say, this is an illusion. If this is an illusion, then everything's an illusion. Because I have a direct access to this. There's no intermediary between me and a direct awareness. Just like I feel that I I exist, and someone is going to come and tell me, no, no, you don't really exist. It's an illusion. You can't say that. If that's an illusion, then everything's an illusion. And I can do anything I want to you because it's an illusion. It's an illusion. What? Why does it matter? If my own existence or my own direct feeling that I have a free choice right now to pick this up or not, or any other free choice that I feel I have in my life, if this is an illusion, then everything's an illusion. If it's not an illusion, then what do I do with my feeling that I have a freedom of choice? When you're telling me that everything is just a material interaction. So if you study all the material interactions going on around me and inside me, you could tell me, you could explain to me where the free will is going to be and what I'm going to do, and I cannot decide myself what to do with it. You can predict if I'm going to pick it up or not, or will I still have that choice? And my claim is I'm going to still have that choice. No matter how much you study me physically and how absolute your knowledge is of the physical laws, If I'm going to tell you right now, I feel that I have the freedom of choice to pick this up or not, you cannot predict if I'm going to pick it up or not. Even if you know all the laws of nature and exactly how they work, you will still not be able to tell if I will end up picking it up or not. And now you guys want to know if I'm going to pick it up or not, right? Okay, that's one. Second issue with that. So if there is no free will, There is no freedom. It's all predetermined. Can you please explain to me how are we supposed to live in a society? Why is there anyone who's responsible for anything? No one's responsible. Right? It's all material interactions. 
You didn't have a choice. Material interactions happened and you killed someone. We can't take the law of nature and put it in prison. But really that's what happened. You have nothing to do with it. There's no real freedom. Laws of nature are working in you and around you. And they resulted in you killing someone. But you're not responsible. Right? It's only laws of nature. Matter interacting with matter. So how are we supposed to live as a society if we're saying that everything, all phenomena, are nothing but material interactions? And I need them to answer because I have my answer because I don't believe that everything is just a material interaction. I do believe that we have a soul. I do believe that we have a free choice. And we're accountable because we have the freedom of choice. So that comes with a responsibility. That makes us accountable. That makes acts punishable or rewardable. Because it's not just matter interacting with matter. It's not just material entities that are governed by physical laws. There's actually freedom and the freedom is beyond matter. It's not something that material interactions can explain. The last thing that I wanted to do is to read a few quotes to you guys. Since we're talking about materialism, all these people are supposed to be the biggest representatives of what we can consider science in the world. And the first ones that I'm going to read to you, they're all atheists. They openly consider themselves atheists. So these are people who have a Openly, they will say they have a materialist worldview. The only things that we should have access to are matter. And the only tools we have to explain everything happening in the world is matter. So what do they tell us? Do they say that there is any place for anything beyond natural science? Or does it all stop, start and stop with the world of natural science or the world of matter. So the first one comes very, very well known from Stephen Jay Gould. I don't know if you guys know that name or not. One of the biggest names he used to be in the world, he passed away a few years ago. Okay, Before the Richard Dawkins, there were the Stephen Jay Goulds. He writes, and this is, I'll explain that word, he says the net or magisterium. The magisterium is basically the group of people who speak on behalf of a field. So there could be the magisterium of science. So these are the scholars of science. The magisterium of religion, these are the men who speak on behalf of the field. The net or magisterium of science covers the empirical. So empirical is what you have access to with your five senses. The magisterium of science covers the empirical realm. What is the universe made of? Uh, made of? And why does it work this way? The magisterium of religion extends over questions of ultimate meaning and moral value. These two magisteria do not overlap, nor do they encompass all inquiry. I'm not going to discuss right now because I don't agree with him that they don't overlap. In fact, science does say some things that religion has an opinion about. And the opposite too. 
religion does say things that science wants to have a say about it. So there is an overlap. And in those cases, what do we do? So this would be for more advanced courses. But aside from that claim, he's openly stating that there is a role beyond natural science for areas like religion to play a part in. Right? Martin Rees, and I've spoken, I think, about him. He wrote books like Only Six Numbers. And he basically explains pretty much everything that we understand of the world with these constants in the universe. He says any of them change, the entire universe changes. Atheist. The preeminent mystery, he writes, is why anything exists at all. That's what we're asking too. It's a good question. What breathes life into the equations and actualizes them in a real cosmos? Because an, equa an equation, a formula, a law, when we write it down, it's just a law. It's an idea. What he's asking about is not the law as it's written on a paper. He's saying, why is there gravity in the outside world? Why is it there as a law in the real world, in the cosmos? Such questions lie beyond science, however. They are the province of philosophers and theologians. He says, I don't believe in God, but I openly admit that this is beyond what I am equipped to deal with. This Science cannot go there. Why is there something instead of nothing? And why is it this way? Another quote from him. Science is a way of knowing about the natural world. It is limited to explaining the natural world through natural causes. Science can say nothing about the supernatural. Whether God exists or not is a question about which science is neutral. Which is not bad. I would take it further and say, actually, I think if you really understand science, you would say God must exist. But even that, I'll take it. Because he's at least saying that science, in his own words, is neutral. You cannot use science to say God does not exist. Mr. Richard Dawkins, Mr. Daniel Dennett, and others. People who try to use science to say, and therefore, God doesn't exist. Therefore, religion is not true. Here's the answer from these top scientists, top mathematicians, physicists in the world, who are agreeing with you that there is no God. Yet they tell you you can't use science for that. That becomes a philosophical position. That becomes a theological, metaphysical position. This is from Einstein. In view of such harmony in the cosmos, which I, with my limited human mind, am able to recognize. So he's basically saying, there is so much harmony that we can't even imagine all of it, understand all of it. But the part that we do, we see it clearly that it's there. Okay? In view of such harmony in the cosmos, which I with my limited human mind am able to recognize, there are yet people who say there is no God. So he's basically saying, you can't jump and say, with all this harmony, in our words, with what we presented, with all this design, with all this purpose, with all this intelligence, he's saying harmony, with all of this, there is no God. He says you can't say that. And then he adds... But what really makes me angry is that they quote me for the support of such views. So they quote Einstein to support their views that there is no God. So that makes him angry. A few more quotes. This is Rudolf 
Kirill's, this is a guy who basically was one of the major architects of something called the Manhattan Project. So when the U.S. decided that they're going to create all these nuclear weapons, and that whole movement was called the Manhattan Project. You can look it up. This guy was one of the main scientists working on that, one of the main physicists in the world. He says, the premise that you can describe in terms of physics, the whole function of a human being, including knowledge and consciousness, is untenable. Clear enough? He says it's impossible to explain everything about a human being, including knowledge and consciousness, with everything we know about the laws of physics. That's just untenable. You cannot hold such a view. It's not logical. It's not acceptable to hold such a view. There is still something missing. Erwin Schrodinger. I don't know if I need to explain who this guy is. He's one of the biggest physicists in the world, theoretical physicist. He won the Nobel Prize. He's, anyone who studies quantum physics will spend a lot of time on his equations. He says, consciousness cannot be accounted for in physical terms. Again, I repeat, consciousness cannot be accounted for in physical terms. For consciousness is absolutely fundamental. Fundamental means it's at the lowest level. It's something that you can't explain with anything else. That's what it means. It cannot be accounted for in terms of anything else. So basically, consciousness is consciousness. Don't try to explain it with physics. Don't try to explain it with matter. Consciousness is consciousness. And it stops there, according to him. Heisenberg, another giant in the world of physics. So in, in physics, he came up with the, it's called the uncertainty principle. The ontology, so basically the theory of being, the existence, the world of existence, the ontology of materialism rested upon the illusion that the kind of existence, he says the direct actuality of the world around us, can be extrapolated into the atomic range. This extrapolation, however, is impossible. Atoms are not things. Okay, so this one I'm not going to comment about. I think the other ones were sufficient in what they were saying. Basically, now you have some of the greatest minds, not all of them believers in God, a lot of them openly stating that they are materialists in the sense that that's all they accept to work with for the facts of life, especially the first three names that we mentioned. And yet, they're openly saying, do not try to convince us that you can explain everything in the world through matter. So if materialism means what we said, all the claims come down to one, which is existence equals matter, then all of them are saying that's not true. Matter is not equal to all of existence. There is existence outside of matter, and we don't have access to it with the tools of science. Science is not enough to take a position here and answer the questions about the soul, about consciousness, about knowledge, and other things. All of this is contrasted with sometimes people who claim there is a book by a guy by the name of Stenger, well-known, he has debates online, you can find them. He has a book actually called, now contrast these people, keep all of that in mind. He has a book called God, the Failed Hypothesis, How Science Shows That God Does Not Exist. Now, remember what 
Einstein said, remember what Martin Rees said, they're saying that you cannot make that claim. You cannot use science. All science can say is, I don't know. All science can say is, I stay neutral. I tell you, I explain to you how the world works, the material world works. Don't ask me about anything beyond it. It's not within my reach. I have no access to anything beyond that. And yet this guy who claims to be a scientist, he writes his book, How Science Shows That God Does Not Exist. Science can't show that. I don't need to read the book to show you that science does not show. Science cannot show that God does not exist. As the others have said, the most you can say is science must stay neutral and have no opinion about this. I hope this was okay as an overview of materialism. These are the main points, the main tenets, the main principles of materialism, and some of the easier, clearer ways of refuting them. So inshallah, based on that, we can go into a couple of one or two topics related to that, drill down a little bit further. What does actually science actually say about things like consciousness? And then from there, we can go back to finishing our topic about the oneness of God, real monotheism. What does it mean when we say God is one? And then talk about divine justice. And inshallah, with that, we would have completed that whole theme about the existence of God, understanding, opening that whole door towards the unseen world, accepting that there's something beyond matter on a very rigorous, logical, objective, val scientifically valid way of looking at reality. Sounds good? وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين